Welcome to The Big Deal, where we unlock the details and drama behind the business of sport in Australia and around the world. Join me, Warren Treadray, along with Andrew Montessi and our expert guests as we take you into the boardroom for behind-the-scenes access and analysis of contracts, negotiations, endorsements and much more. Subscribe to our show on your favourite podcast player and don't forget to sign up to www.thebigdeal.au for a weekly wrap of the latest deals, breaking news and many more exclusive opportunities. Welcome to another episode of The Big Deal. I'm Andrew Montessi, joined again by AFL legend Warren Treadray. Now, Treaders, our guest today understands digital media in sport and the changing face of fan engagement better than just about anyone. Yeah, that's right, Monty. Uh, We're joined by Andrew Cronin, who is one of Australia's pioneers in this space. Andrew is the managing director of Excel Media, providing consultation, product development, market launch, and content production services to the sports and entertainment industry. He founded FanHub Media in 2012, building the company into a global leader in free-to-play games, fantasy sports, and fan engagement solutions. Fan Hub was acquired by Genius Sports in 2021, and Andrew continued to work with Genius as a Director of Fan Engagement Strategy until the beginning of this year. Earlier in his career, Andrew spent almost a decade with IMG Media, where he was the Vice President, then Head of Digital Media. Welcome, Andrew. Quite a bit to go on, mate. You sound like you've been a pretty busy man. Uh, Yeah, until recently, been very busy. Um, Fortunately, uh, with the uh, uh, gradual uh, exit out of uh, Genius Sports, who we sold uh, Fan Hub into, uh, I've had a little bit more time up my sleeves recently. But uh, yeah. certainly the 10 years prior to that was crazy busy and uh, even the, the years leading into that with uh, my time at IMG and WWE, the uh, the, the wrestling guys, uh, it was very busy, such as the, the nature of the, the sports industry. It's uh, certainly not a nine-to-five gig. But, yeah, uh, as I said, uh, taking a little bit more time now to enjoy life. And So what does life look like for you right now? You mentioned taking some time out. Any projects on the way or is it just a genuine rest? Uh, largely the, the latter. Um, I finished uh, formerly full-time work with Genius Sports in February, consulted uh, to them uh, for a few months after that just to you know make sure things kept ticking over with the parts of the business I was involved in and you know still available to those guys if and when they need me here. Uh, doing a, a few little bits of consulting here and there at the moment uh, prior to setting up FanHub and all through the FanHub journey of uh, and continuing to this day, I've acted as a consultant for the NFL in Australia, helping them with their their media rights, digital strategy uh, in Australia and New Zealand. So still doing that, love that, bit of a, a passion project. And obviously in terms of sporting organisations, not, not many better to work with. So uh, not a full-time role by any means, but something that still keep my uh, – head in the game and the, the sports industry and particularly the, the sports media world. So, yeah, but other than that, uh, recently finished a, a very important project of helping uh, my mother-in-law move from one side of the US to the other. Yeah. Um, I must say my wife did most of the heavy lifting on that one and I just came in at the end to, well, do the actual heavy lifting. Yeah. Um, and, but 
a lot of life admin and yeah, as I said, a few little consulting uh, projects here and there. What he didn't mention is that he's also going to Bali next week and we managed to just jag a little interview with him before he heads off and uh, and starts sunbaking. So uh, we do appreciate that, mate. But can you take us back to the beginning of FanHub? So I think it was back in 2012. How did you get started in the world of fantasy sports and gaming and, and what was the space like back then? Yeah, I think it was you know, a lot of serendipity and a bit of luck, you know, a lot of luck involved as well. Uh, I'd, um, you know, I'd been back in Australia uh, for five or six years after uh, about an eight-year stint living overseas in the, the US initially uh, and then the UK, yeah, and I, I just started uh, a, you know, a year or two prior to that working for myself, as I said, yeah, I was con- yeah, first client in the consulting space. Uh, after leaving WWE was NFL, consulting to a few other organisations, but but an area that I'd sort of started looking into in Australia and, and noticing that some mates had got me into you know, playing AFL fantasy here. And I was really shocked by where the, the industry was here compared to where it was probably almost a decade earlier in the US when I was playing NFL fantasy with friends over there and um, did a bit of digging around and you know, there, there was uh, essentially one company in Australia uh, providing technology and services to the industry uh, and they, they had a mini monopoly and they, they were doing a, a a pretty good job, but uh, it, you know we sort of sense that there was room for for one other, or I sense that there was room for at least one other to come in and you know apply some of the, the learnings and contacts that I had from my time overseas, and was sniffing around trying to figure out a way uh, to get into uh, the industry and you know, you know build out some software when. Uh, as I said, the word before, serendipity came across um, a, a company who had actually built a fantasy product for uh, a, another organisation in Australia who went broke and hence they retained the IP and technology, but they were more of a general digital agency and they didn't really know what to do with it. So it was a, a bit of a, uh, you know, I, I'd like to think I, I had the commercial knowledge and uh, an idea on, on how I could uh, bring it to market in Australia and some of the contacts needed to do that, but didn't have the, the technical or software knowledge, uh, whereas these guys had the opposite. They, they had the, at least the building box of the technology, yeah, but didn't really have the industry connections to do anything with it. And so those guys became my co-founders uh, after introductions by mutual friends, and you know that was the beginning of the business, and you know really set us up for success from day one. A uh, great set of co-founders. So clearly, you see the opportunity. Did you expect it yep. to become as big or as sophisticated as it is today? Um, well, yes and no, but in in ways, you know, it's sort of often the case. I think with startups and new businesses that they evolve with the times and different you know, industries or trends that occur that you can't really anticipate and so when you know i was first getting uh, involved and interested in it as i said you know i saw two opportunities one that 
you know, there's only really one supplier in Australia, so there, there's uh, room uh, and you know one from the the very few buyers at that time uh, to have more choice of, of vendors. But I was also looking at what was happening in the US, and at that time there was you know, two companies, FanDuel and DraftKings, who had really sort of uh, taken the US by storm by creation of what was and it still exists today, but known back then as daily fantasy sports. Uh, and I thought, wow, it, you know, that's going gangbusters over there. It should go gangbusters here. And no one in Australia was really doing it. It never actually did go gangbusters here because the, the reason it was going so well in, in the US was because it was, at the time, uh, you know, a substitution for, for gambling and sports betting. And, yeah, you know, you know, uh, so... Yeah, uh, people who, who in Australia would already be jumping on the betting accounts in the US were taking part in daily fantasy sports as a, a substitute for that. Yeah, so that's what we thought was going to be, you know, a route to our success. You know, being a vendor and participant in that part of the market in Australia, yeah, didn't work out that way. Yeah. What, however, then changed was really, you know, in Australia, but even more so globally, uh, increasing but very gradual um, understanding the need uh, uh, by marketers uh, and digital uh, teams and, you know, ticketing departments and merchandise departments, uh, the value first party data. Uh, and that's only what, uh, as we did grow and become an overnight success over a 10-year period, uh, was why most of our clients hired us. Uh, we helped them capture first-party data, uh, uh, people willingly giving up their names and addresses and email uh, addresses, and sometimes phone numbers and sometimes a lot more, um, and handing those over uh, to our clients, whether it be the AFL or NRL or, or down the track, you know, the NFLs and MBAs uh, to, you know, as a value exchange, you participate in a game or tool that we provide and the, the league gets more information about you and a, a way to communicate with you more. So who were some of those early clients that, that got on board with you as you were starting out? You were seeing the opportunity, you know, you're seeing the first party data and how it can be a, a, a real game changer. Who really jumped on board with you in those early days and helped you propel the business? Yeah, well, we started in Australia, started in Melbourne. Um, our first client at all was Fox Sports. We we built a very basic uh, A-League uh, related game for them. So credit to them uh, for taking the risk on us and uh, allowing us to build that out for them. Uh, our first real, real substantial client that allowed us to really establish the business and start hiring employees as opposed to myself and my co-founders uh, you know, uh, cobbling it together with the, the resources that we had was uh, Telstra um, and their partnership with the AFL, which continues today. And back then, they were also partnered uh, more heavily with the NRL. 
Uh, and so, uh, and that came back to the point that I was talking about before. Only one real provider on the fantasy side you know, who was serving both of the big players, um, that being News Corp and then the the you know, two big leagues themselves in their partnership with Telstra. Uh, Telstra felt like, right, we want to have a different vendor. Uh, our, our current vendor is doing a good job, but they're also servicing our biggest competitor. And so uh, we... Yeah, uh, Use that to our advantage, Telstra and the AFL slash NRL. Uh, they would both hate, hate me saying the AFL slash NRL. Uh, took a, a leap uh, of faith uh, with us, and you know, we're still working with all of them uh, to this current day. And so, you know, extremely thankful for them uh, because without them, the, the business almost certainly wouldn't have happened. Um, and they're still the the products that I'm most proud of uh, today, even though we've done some phenomenal things around the globe. You, you mentioned getting started. Some of those early challenges, obviously you said there was a someone else in the market, but can you take yeah. us through some of those real, um, I suppose, blank walls you came up against, brock, uh, brick walls where you sort of got held up? Yeah, look, I, I think it was probably, you know, from the, the time that I just thought about doing it, the, you know, the first brick wall, the first big challenge was, well, how, you know, it's one thing to say you can do this, but uh, in reality, you've got to have the software and some technology and something you can demonstrate it. So, you, you know, uh, you were mentioning your, your son before, very passionate about uh, fantasy sports. And, and, you know, it it is a, you know, it is a, a couple of hundred thousand, maybe half a million, maybe a million people in Australia who have that level of passion for it, and you know, uh, that demands a you know a very complicated piece of technology. And so that was the first hurdle for me as an individual, as I was looking at it, and as I said, very lucky across to come across some co-founders who had uh, the core of that technology in place. So that you know, it, you know I, I'd probably spent twelve. 12 months, 18 months looking for a, a technology partner um, to you know, take a risk with me um, to you know, have us, you know, even allow me to have a seat at the table with those discussions um, because otherwise you know, I would have had to raise a bunch of capital um, and, and build something without even knowing if there was truly a market for it. That was the, the first big step. And then I, I think, the big issues from there we were, that we faced were often similar ones and re- repeat through our journey and probably even right up until the time we were acquired by Genius and a, a, that was one of the big advantages of being acquired by such a big business and and that was the, the leap steps of, of trying to scale uh, when you either land a big client um which and they wanted stuff done on their schedule and the nature of the sports industry is you know uh, the season starts on that date they're not changing it because we we need more time uh, and the fantasy game or the footy tipping competition or the trivia competition or whatever it might be it's got to be up and ready a, a month before that and, you know or else it's you know no point launching it and so uh we we'd land clients who you know we get one shot with and we right, we've got a chance to do something for the NBA here, but they need it done in six weeks and we're super busy. Uh, we just had to find a way to uh, make that happen and resource up. And 
yeah, credit to the, the great team that eventually built it around uh, me that we're able to do that. And some you know, uh, people all across the business you know, putting in huge hours. So I think yeah, the, the challenge is always the biggest challenge we nearly always faced was one of scaling uh, and you know, yeah, finding the resource and, and doing things uh, in quick turnaround time to satisfy our clients. You mentioned a tech partner. Um, it's not like you're just going to Woolworths to buy some bread. It, how did you set about a plan to go, I need someone to help me here. I need some some finances behind it. How yep. did you, you identify who you went after or did that just happen through multiple conversations and being pushed in different directions? Yeah, I think it was more the, the latter and it's a, yeah, a little bit big to the proponent of, yeah, there's no bad meetings in like, like just meet as many people as you can and ask the question as many times as you can and, you know, eventually you'll come across something. So I ran into a lot of dead ends. I you know, spoke to a couple of US-based companies who yeah, showed some level of interest, but the reality, you know, the, the nightmare of just trying to schedule calls with those guys and get pay attention to what I was trying to do because they were already busy in their existing businesses and was, you know, eventually I realized that this wasn't going to work, working with someone in the, the US and, and thank goodness we didn't go down that route because the US ended up becoming our biggest market. And if we'd gone down that route, it would have probably been in some way us sort of just been contained to Australia because uh, these the companies that I was talking to ended up becoming competitors of ours in the US and and so it's more you know I, I talking to people in the industry about it and it, it, you know what eventually became of that was you know just talking to uh, a good friend in the industry who uh, worked at the AFL he had some mates who were running this uh, digital agency and he was telling me their story about the bad situation that they'd been through where they built a prototype for someone and ultimately didn't get paid uh, everything that they should have for it. So held on to the IP and it was like, wow, that's that's exactly uh, what I was after. I, I, they were sitting on some of this technology but you know, didn't have the, the time and connections in the industry to take it to market. So... Yeah, it was running into a lot of uh, brick walls and dead ends, and but you have enough conversations, and uh, you know you never know when you might get lucky. Uh, you know, I feel like we're both lucky uh, to uh, meet each other. So, what did the global expansion look like? You mentioned the NBA. Who were those those pillar clients that really helped you, kind of? get off of our shores and and hit that big US market? Yeah, um, it was probably, you know, it was a few, uh, and again, in different stages. Our, our first international client was the ATP Tour. We did a small project for them, uh, and it never got too much bigger than that, but it, it did give us a bit of credibility. Uh, and I, I think, uh, yeah, we were able to land the ATP tour because they you know, sort of have a global view of uh, the industry by their very nature, even though they're, they're US-based and you know, offices in London and south of France, they you know, have, have a lot of vendors for lots of different countries and 
weren't really adverse to working with someone from Australia who's trying to go straight into MBA or NFL or something like that would have been a lot more difficult. Yeah. We then, uh, through some work we'd done for Tabcorp in Australia, uh, they were setting up what turned out to be an ill-fated business with Use Corp in the UK um, called Sunbets. Uh, but as part of that, um, uh, News Corp was also looking to change their uh, provider uh, for their EPL game and they'd had some technology issues with their previous vendor and you, you know had gone horribly wrong three years in a row so they'd given them every chance and we're looking for a new partner and one of the, the fortunate things for us timing wise is we entered the, the business and the industry just as the whole web was sort of moving towards the the cloud and uh, you know software-based services were becoming much more common, and we weren't really a software-based service, but we're we're cloud-based uh, in terms of all of our technology. And most of our competitors had made a lot of prior investments in physical servers and buying their own hardware and you know, stuff that we've managed to avoid. And so we could host these massive platforms with a million plus users for uh, for better and for less uh, and we were one of the first ones to figure that out and we figured that out the hard way through some early headaches through our NRL and AFL contracts but we're amongst the first to really you know, as a result of that figure it out how to do it at scale uh, and therefore News Corp uh, fortunately chose us so off the back of that we set up a London office uh, and Soon after, uh, a US office where, um, through my existing contacts with the NFL and, and the credibility of doing a little bit of that ATP tour work, we uh, managed to take off there as well. So we take a closer look at the model of fantasy sports in gaming. Now, what are the key pillars that you focused on? Our business, you know, fantasy was where we started and it was still a really important part of the business uh, to this very day. Even now that I'm uh, no longer uh, that heavily involved, uh, we evolved though to become a, a fan engagement uh, business uh, and uh, one that would provide uh, experiences to fans, largely build off the, the back of sports data feeds. Uh, and yeah, a big part of that was you know, from the fan experience, making products um, very could be very simple, such as trivia games or footy tipping or right through to the very complex end of fantasy products. But all of them were really around the, the user experience of allowing fans to uh, test their opinions around the games that they love, share that opinion and compete with others. Uh, and, you know, even though uh, I'm like, you traders, I was never going to be able to compete on the field. Yeah, you know, have that sense of testing your, uh, you know, knowledge and experience at least around the AFL uh, against your mates and uh, and the broader audience. But so that from the user end was a big focus here, you know, making these games fun and entertaining and tying into that level of banter and mateship and you know. 
none of our games were betting products. They were just about you know, mates competing with each other, and you know, you know, sometimes there's a bigger prize involved, but. Usually, uh, you know, the, the biggest driver of our success would be when you, you know there was a group of friends from college or the local footy club putting a league together and yeah, you know, they're competing against each other for bragging rights. On the internally, the biggest thing we sort of focused on uh, was the uh, integrity and stability of our products. Uh, it's no point building these great products that fans would enjoy if they'd crash or you, you know the you got the results wrong um, and we learned that you know as I said you know, we overcome them uh, in our early days and, and uh, uh, Telstra and the leagues were great first clients in, in you know that a long-term vision but we had some real head up headaches in our early stages of our business uh, and that really you, you know for myself and the other initial employees we, we were from that time on just said look we're going to be the best in the industry at getting this right having uptime around our games never crashing never getting the results wrong uh, because it, if you do that it becomes catastrophic uh, and that was the case that's why we managed to land our big contract in the uk that enabled us to to expand globally is because the company that would be a competitor of ours over there failed on those key yeah. fundamentals and, and we, we're never going to let that happen to us. So, I mean, you talk about data as the, I guess, the main commercial asset. To really simplify it for for those who might not kind of understand the, the nuances and the commercial side of that, what does that actually mean to the to the customer, the partner that you're working with? What are, Why is the data so valuable? And and what are they using it for? How does that work? So we would get it. You know, it's two types of data. Uh, just to sort of expand on that a little bit, um, if I drill into your question, there is the sports data feed that we would create the the games around. So companies like Champion Data for the AFL or Stats uh, Perform um, for the NRL. Uh, Genius is a big data provider. Uh, the company that purchased us. So they provide the, the raw data feed of stats, kicks, marks, handballs, you know, tries, tackles, um, meters gained in the NRL, those sorts of things. So that's sort of, we use that data effectively as fuel to create the majority of our products, not all of them. Uh, but then on the other end, there's the user data. Uh, so to the point of the question you're asking, yeah, for, so... And user data has become so critically important in terms of all types of digital marketing uh, over the past 10 years. You know, it's you know, a big part of that evil thing where you think that you, your phone has been listening to you. Uh, it, that's almost certainly not the case. It's more you know, Google or Facebook has kept captured so much data about you uh, that they uh, you know, uh, can make and push ads to the point where it seems like they're listening to things that what you, you're doing. Yeah. So we're a part of that uh, big machine, but uh, in hopefully a little bit more uh, acceptable way in terms of, as I said before, we were getting 
users to voluntarily give up their data. So first-party data, the, you know, the the best type of data. It's not that Facebook, Google type of data where it's sort of being aggregated by observing uh, what you do through cookies and all that sort of stuff. It's more, right, uh, Monty, if you want to play this fantasy game, you've got to, as part of that, you've got to sign up to the AFL digital ID and you give up certain bits of information about yourself and they can start to use that to build a relationship with you around ticketing, knowing probably who you, you barrack for, you know, you know, potentially what players you put into your fantasy team, how often you visit the site, what times, uh, but you, you buried in the terms and conditions, uh, given up uh, that right in return for playing the game free. So that's the, the value exchange. And, uh, so, yeah, and what, and to be honest, I don't completely understand it, you know, but, you know, savvy companies are building data warehouses where, you know, they'll take the data they collect from us, from others, mess that together, and they'll build up a bigger and bigger and more detailed profile about you. And if it's done right, they should market to you better, you know, because they'll know, right, most of the time, Monty's based in the US, so it's no point trying to sell him tickets uh, to uh, the showdown or Anzac Day because uh, he's not going to fly from San Francisco. But yeah, uh, let's uh, sell him uh, watch AFL or you know, they figure out that you don't know whether this is the case, but you know, just had a new baby and some merch related to your kid and that sort of stuff. So uh, organizations are getting more and more savvy towards that. And a, a really valuable thing that uh, happened for us and helped you know, give our business more credibility you know, a few years ago was uh, the apprehension around some of this third party data around cookies and that more sort of subversive tracking uh, and the move towards companies wanting to have first-party data where you know, the user has at least made that decision, yes, I'm going to give this organisation my uh, email address and a few bits of information about me. It sounds like obviously the value comes from the data, but if we're talking about the fantasy, then it comes back to the individual. You know, And clearly... From an individual point of view, you want to go team, you want to win the prize, you want to do really well and rank the best in Australia or America or whatever sport you're looking at. But does it then pretty much create your own leagues? Is that the key to driving the extra people? You know, getting the mates to arm around them, hey, you're in this, create your own league. And then that creates the data and it creates the bigger business at play. Is that the simple way of looking at the target audience? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The most successful games that we had, you know, uh, are not successful because of you know the, the chance of winning the the car or the fifty thousand dollar prize. Because most people have this mentality of well, there's hundreds of thousands of people playing this. So I'm no chance of winning that. You know, it's uh, yeah, literally one in close to a million, and probably probably more than a million to one for most people because there are these hardcore fans and users who, you know, the, the likely winner each year is probably going to come out of a pool of a couple of thousand people. But the real driver of success and audience, and, and not just for fantasy, but you know, even the footy tipping products, so 
when we first got involved in this, we were doing started doing footy tipping as well, and I thought, yeah, footy tipping is going to slowly die off. Um, but it has got, at least from a digital sense, bigger and bigger every year, uh, and I think that's because it's just become easier for fans to take part in it. But what happens is whether it's the fantasy league, as I said before, a group of kids at school um, making the league of 12 or some guys in a workplace or local footy league or whatever. And, you know, that often becomes the, the glue of their relationship. And, you know, this story is even much bigger in the US where NFL fantasy is just massive and, you you hear stories and guys who went to college together and yeah you know, 20 years later you know, the one way they all keep you know, contact together is through their fantasy league even though they're spread across the country um, and the same thing has happened with footy tipping same principles you know, the goal of whether it's you know, you know, AFL with their footy tipping league that we uh, run for them behind the scenes in partnership with Telstra or ESPN who are a massive provider here or uh, you know, a bunch of the radio stations. Is The goal is if you can get the guy who's running the office league or the family league, you're not just signing up him, but you're signing up the you know, 100 people that he's got in the office league as well. So that, 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 that's, the, that's the key user everyone's after. So can you maybe zoom out for us a little bit uh, and and kind of talk us through where the where the global market is at in this space? Like, I mean, obviously fantasy sports is just one aspect, and I think you know some of the data we've seen is it's predicted to be worth like US forty eight billion dollars by twenty twenty seven. What what's the global market like at the moment, and and who are the key players? Yeah, I think yeah. Taking it out, you know, fantasy is just one part of the digital fan engagement uh, you know, the focus of the, the sports industry. You know, to be a really uh, key part and you know, and successful part of it. And it's funny, what like it's an older part now. It's part of the fabric of the games, particularly you know here in Australia in the AFL and NRL, but even more so in the EPL. But most of all in the NFL where, you know, it's you know, such a priority there and given to some degree the credit of taking over the past 20 years, 25 years, the NFL from, you know, uh, on a par or possibly even smaller than the NBA and baseball to being the biggest sport in the land. And a big part of that is fantasy took the audience from watching their team once a week to watching five, six games a week and products like Red Zone because you'd have players playing for all of the teams and so you'd, you'd know a lot more about the league, you'd watch more games, you'd read more articles uh, and that just helped revenues explode. So, And that the same reason, it's a great success for the AFL down here. NRL, it's a big driver to traffic throughout uh, their websites and um, and discussion through the week but you know it's just one part of the ecosystem and you, you know there's a lot of cool things happening you know, in, you know uh, the, obviously the talk of the town at the moment is AI uh, and then things like Web3 and, you know for a little bit longer VR and AR those sorts of things are going to be 
used in all sorts of different ways to in, engage fans in, in different ways. Like, you know, that you know, it's not going to happen next year, but you know, with, within five years or so, I, I think there'll be the ability through AI for you know someone to choose almost anyone that they want to have commentate their AFL footy game. So uh, Bruce McAvoy will be long since retired and still not commentating games, but he would be able to license his voice and you know have him commentate uh, any game on, on a few second delay or, or or even more crazy. Doesn't even have to be Bruce McAvoy. It could be Donald Trump or Taylor Swift. Like sounds bizarre, but people could yeah. yeah choose their own person to commentate the game. Uh, 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 yeah, and and it, it's hard for people to comprehend, but that's where AI is going. And it, and it is a bit scary as well, uh, you know, the opportunity for bad actors around that sort of stuff, but but also very exciting. Uh, you know, things like you know, coming back to the business that we're in, Juice through Monty Pixar, you know, uh, the ability through AI to have a, a voiceover from, you know, Cheddar's wishing a thousand people a day happy birthday, you know, without him having to lift a finger. Uh, you know, um, it, it, or LeBron James, uh, you know, doing the, the same thing. So, yeah, uh, some extraordinary things that are going to happen through AI, you know, and how that's used to engage fans. Uh, yeah, and a similar thing with the you know, augmented reality. And you know, I think where 3 is a little bit more of a, a back-end technology. Um, but, yeah, there's uh, it, going to be things happen uh, in the space over the next five, ten years that yeah, are hard to believe. It, it's interesting you say the AI element and the, you know, you can get anything you want at any time. Do you reckon there'll be almost a flip at some stage back to what the individual, or has that come back to the individual's data and what the individual wants, whether they want something real? You know, for me, Donald Trump wouldn't appear to me, but, you know, Bruce McAvaney would. It, would it be simply so tailored that you deliver, get your content, what you want every time? Is that where we're headed? Yeah, I think so. And I, I think, you know, we're already down that path. Uh, you know, um, you know, you can consume so much uh, content around your, you know, sport and passion now that it's a real competition between the, the sports and you, that probably drills down even further. You can you know, consume more and more about your players of choice and team of choice. You know, I, I remember growing up, you know, sports nut growing up uh, and, you know, in the, the days of free to wear only, and and I'm still a huge sports fan of all sports today. Yeah. But yeah, there's only so much AFL uh, on TV. You have the big league and well of sports, and yeah, 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 and some preview shows on a Friday night, and and the Herald Sun. Yeah. So I had plenty of time to follow the cricket and the golf and Wimbledon, the French Open, and all that sort of stuff. But now I can just consume. There's more AFL content out there uh, than you can possibly consume. You could consume it 24 hours a day and not absorb it all. So, uh, and I think AI will 
just further exacerbate that because as the, the processing speeds uh, gradually enhanced to enable things, like I said, around Bruce McAvaney licensing's voice, then you're going to have an infinite amount of content because you'll be able to customize it to what you want because you know, the game that you're having Bruce McAvaney commentate, yeah, 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 someone in Perth will have Dennis Cometti yeah, doing it and someone might have Ian Robertson, yeah, yeah, although his voice he may not be, there may not be enough audio, yeah, decent enough quality to do it for his voice, but you, you get what I mean. And and there might be the kids out there who want yeah, 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 Harry Styles to do the commentary of their game. And so, yeah, it, it is going to be more and more about personalization uh, and giving fans exactly what they want. And there's, yeah, for the most part, that's great, but there are risks to that as well because, you know, people come to tunnel vision and, uh, you know, only, only absorb in the echo chamber of things that they're interested in and don't get exposed to some of what else is out there. So as that whole world that you've just described accelerates almost at this exponential rate. What does it actually mean for the future of sport more broadly coming alongside it? Yeah, I think you know, the big piece about it and sport is on this you know, you know, charge already is the, the globalization of it. And uh, on one hand, the ability that it provides for all sports and all leagues to uh, take their message to a much bigger and broader audience, but and that's the positive. The negative is also the ability uh, for the big to get bigger and, and, and yeah, yeah, all more powerful. And coming back to that AI example that I was talking about, you know, how does how does the next Bruce McAvaney evolve if we're using Bruce McAvaney and Dennis Cometti, who everyone knows and loves in perpetuity to cop uh, kind of take games. Uh, uh, you know, likewise, you know, how does, uh, you know, a kid in Adelaide, uh, he might want to get his birthday wishes at the moment from Ollie Wise or Travis Boat because they're accessible. Well, if you can get that from LeBron James or you know, messy, yeah, because they can do an AI-generated version, uh, then, you know, uh, do the local uh, sports and, and leagues get overcome by the, the powerhouses of the uh, EPLs and NBAs and all that sort of stuff? Well, I love the advancement of technology. Gosh, it's like, it's a, it's a bit sad from a fan engagement perspective. Like, I, I, want, a, I want a personal message from traders or Messi or whoever, you know, I don't want the AI generated scalable solution, but I guess that is part of the reality of where we're heading with sport at the moment. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's just, you know, you'd, uh, you'd prefer to have Taylor Swift sing you a, a, a song in person, but you know, you revert to download you off Spotify and you're right. It's not quite the same, but AI will, and, and the scary part is it will feel like it's personalized because it'll be their voice and your yeah, you know, 
Martin might have written the message, so it'll be tailored exactly for you. It, it will sound exactly like them, and, and you won't be able to discern the, the difference. So, but I agree, it, it is scary, and it does dilute it uh, a little bit and takes that. You know, it's taking that personal touch to the masses, but that in turn dilutes that personal touch because you don't feel quite as special. You mentioned that. Is that the limitation that this sort of industry faces? Because we can go so far in that digital space. But, you know, as we've seen with betting, you've been able to bet on anything. You know, that's been the boom, particularly in America lately, where they're probably 20 years behind Australia in sports betting. But now we're seeing regulation kick in all around the world too, and particularly in Australia. Is that what we might see in terms of limitation going forward? Yeah, I think so. And I think it also becomes a little bit, self-limiting because uh, you know as i said before there's only so much you can get can engage with and ultimately nothing beats winning yeah uh, give me a choice of uh yeah i'm a collingwood fan uh, collingwood winning the premiership or me winning my fantasy league uh, i'll take that premiership uh, every time even though yeah i'm not really anything to do with it so and Nothing in terms of engaging fans beats winning either. So, uh, yeah, I, I think yeah, yeah, there's there's limits to it because there's limits to people's time and demands. Um, and uh, the core of sport, hopefully, is still about you know winning and following your team and uh, you know and. Uh, to be the next LeBron James or Lionel Messi. You've still got to be very good, and you've got to play in good teams. Now we know you're going to be taking some some time off and chilling out on the beaches in Bali and whatnot. But no doubt, given the knowledge that you've got, you you I wouldn't be surprised if there's another another little itch to scratch at, at some point. Is there anything you're eyeing off at the moment uh, in terms of opportunities? What what's is there anything that's getting you excited in the sports business world? What what are you looking at? Yeah, it's you know, something that I've been thinking about a lot, but not coming up with many answers. Uh, you know, I, I think that one certain answer is, is that you know, uh, I will uh, stay involved. I, I love the, the sports industry and technology and how that can be applied to it and how technology and stats can be used to engage fans and you know, uh, learn more about the sport and understand it better and you know I've loved that since I've been a kid and so it's never really been work for me uh, and yeah you know, so I find myself dabbling in that sort of stuff as it is uh, what it will be a uh, hand on my heart of still got no idea um, you know I'd like to think you know that oh might discover other people who are in a similar position to where I was and help them on their journeys. Uh, you know, I'm not sure that, uh, you know, never say never, but start something from scratch where, you know, I'll, I'll be the, you know, the, the startup founder and leader and all that sort of stuff because it's, you know, it's, it's lonely and it's hard work and it's stressful and lots of ups and downs and you know and I'm sort of one of the lucky ones who've come out the other side and you know being you know, along with my co-founders and colleagues build a good business but 
it was really hard work along the way. So I probably wouldn't mind sitting in the uh, the, you know, uh, the the sidecar of that uh, as opposed to the driver's seat next time around. But but I do love it. So uh, yeah, um, I think there'll be something that I end up doing, um, or maybe multiple things in the, the space that it involves. Yeah, stats, technology, and sports, and yeah, what that might be. I'm just not quite sure yet. Awesome. Well, Andrew, thank you so much for your time. It's been great to pin you down and do this interview and unpack your story and insights and, um, mate, get on that Jetstar flight to Denpasar and enjoy. Yeah, it's my first time visiting Bali. So it's, uh, yeah, really looking forward to it. And a bit of downtime and, uh, and yeah, enjoying a bit of sunshine. So, guys, thanks for your time today. It's been good fun. Thanks, mate. Thank you very much. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of The Big Deal. Before you go, don't forget to join our community by subscribing for free at www.thebigdeal.au and get a weekly email bringing together the hottest sports deals, breaking sports biz news as it happens, and much more. Join me at www.thebigdeal.au.